Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. It's embarrassing to me a little bit that it, Jai Wallace came out publicly 15 years ago and I'm just now talking to him for the first time. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Jai Wallace is an Olympian. He competed in the 2000 Summer Olympic Games in trampoline. He won a silver medal and he tells a great story about the, the excitement of being there uh, after having competed for the final time and waiting for everybody else to compete to see if he'd win a medal for his home country. Uh, it's, you know, it, there's got to be nothing like winning an Olympic medal for your own country when your country is hosting it with all your friends and family in the stands. Well, he talks about all that. And since then, Jai's Wallace has, Jai Wallace's life has been full of ups and downs. He has been a real beacon of hope for a lot of people, you know, coming out publicly as gay in 2005 as an Olympian. There were not a heck of a lot of athletes who did it before him, talking eventually about being HIV positive. Uh, he talks with me about the injury he suffered in 2008 and being unable to walk for a while and still feeling repercussions from that, turning his attention now to coaching. So many, I could have talked to him for over an hour, but hopefully give, give you the best of Jai Wallace. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Jai, thank you so much for joining me. And as I always ask every guest before we start, I always ask how to pronounce their name and, and yours seems pretty obvious. But you said that people massacre your name. What else could they come up with from J.I.? Uh, mate, they, um, they, oh, hi, and welcome. Uh, thank you so much for having me, uh, Sid. Um, yeah, they massacre it. You're right, they massacre it. Two letters, J.I., as simple as that. I've had people call me Clive. <laughs> Clive? Clive. John, J, G, oh, I've, whenever I used to compete overseas, I used to get G quite often through Europe. Uh, half the time in Russia, they just call me Mr. Wallace. <laughs> they didn't even want to deal with the, the, the two funny letters. Is it short for something? I ain't short for anything. I mean your name. That's one of the, <laughs> being a CYD, I get that all the time. And I'm like, no, my name is just Sid. Is, is yeah. J.I. short for something or is that it? Uh, no, so the way it's not short for anything, but the way I got it was his dad grew up in the 50s and 60s and Tarzan's helper was named Jai. So we always wanted a son named Jai. And my mum's name's Jan and my dad's name's Ian. So they just put the two letters together. Wow, that's great. You are yeah. the only Jai I've ever met. So, oh, well, there you go. I'm sure you've heard that a million times. There you um, go. I, I really appreciate you being here with me. And it's, it is crazy that we've been writing about you for 15 years. And this is the first time we've actually ever spoken. Um, yeah. Um, but, you know, so again, that's part of the reason I want to revisit some ancient history. Because, you know, for some of our readers or my listeners who, who may not be totally familiar with your story, Leading up to the Olympic Games in which you competed as the year 2000, your country is hosting the Games. It's the first time trampolines ever been a medaled event in the Olympics. Yeah. What is going through your head in the days leading up to this with all of your countrymen and your friends and your family in the stands? 
Well, the days leading up to it, we're actually catching the bus to the Olympics. There was no special treatment for the little trampolinists that were attending their first Olympics. It was, you catch the bus an hour and a half from where we were living at the time. And we turned up to uh, the Olympic village. And obviously you've got to go through security, but back then it was pre 9-11. So the security is not what it is now. I think we just showed our past and obviously because we're part of the team, they knew that we were coming and they were expecting us. So we just got uh, shipped straight into the Olympic village. Um, and then day eight was trampolines moment. So Olympics are usually about 16 days long. So that's right smack bang in the middle. So for the first eight days of the Olympics, it was serious Olympic business. You know, we were still training heavily and training hard. Still, I was still being denied food because I was still overweight. So I was still trying to lose weight, hit my goal weight of 68 kilos. I actually hit it at 68.2 on the day of the competition. So I did very well there. Um, so all of that was still going on. So we're still going to bed early, still getting up, still doing our, all our recovery sessions, all of those sort of things. We didn't actually do anything except for go to the opening ceremony. That was the one thing because normally day one, day two, day three, it's exhausting. So if you're in those first three days of competition, you're knackered by the time you get home at two o'clock in the morning after waiting around for hours and hours and hours, to walk in and do one lap of the stadium. You wouldn't yeah. believe that that's exhausting, but it's just that time, it's a, it's a 10 hour day. So we got to do that, but then we didn't go to any other events because we wanted to make sure that we were on point for day eight. And it was the middle Saturday night. It was on the same time as the water polo was going on and the Australian girls had just claimed gold. And then they quickly flicked to the little trampolines that caught the bus, uh, yeah, a couple of hours down to the Olympics, uh, jumping his little bright yellow heart out, uh, getting second. And of course, we were going to gold, just like any athlete, you train to be the best. You train to be on the middle part of that dais. You don't want to be on the left or the right. You want to be on the top, number one, and hearing your anthem playing especially at the Olympic Games. As you introduced, it was the first time that trampoline had been included as a fully competitive sport. So it was the first time we were introducing trampoline to the world. It was in Australia, in our backyard. And the fellow with the really simple name that people stuff up all the time, you know, coming in first. I was coming in first until the last guy. Oh, no. And there were 14 and a half thousand screaming people in the stadium. Most of the people didn't even particularly want to go to trampoline. They just wanted to go to an Olympic event. And because there were so many uh, events that were sold out, the tickets got ushered to them. So they went, oh, I'll go to trampoline. I know what it is, but I'm going to go. I had people stop me years later saying that was the best night of my life because they went there with no expectation and we delivered a show. We delivered an absolute show and the, they, could, they used to call him Mr. Trampoline, uh, but the, he, he actually said that it was the best way that trampoline sports could be introduced to the world is the way that it ran that night. You know, the highs and the lows. And as I said, right until the end, the little Aussie guy was in the gold medal position. My name was still at the top until the last guy. 
So, uh, so that was uh, that was so a pretty. I, I I get I get you want gold, but but do you in those minutes in the hour after you win silver, are you present with the fact that you just won an Olympic medal and and achieved something really great? Absolutely, you can actually see on my face when I I'm still I'm in the I'm in first place, but there were still four other people to go. And the person that jumped after me placed underneath me. So I was guaranteed a medal. You can see by the reaction on my face at that moment that I knew that something special was in the works. And even if it was still bronze, it was still going to be something special. So the way I responded from them was just the fact that I was going to be on the dais in front of all these people. And not only my hard work was paying off, but everybody else from my coach and my other coaches and my teammates, all the way through to everybody that was involved in just getting trampoline to the Olympic games, that was gonna be a special moment because obviously the home crowd is always going to be much more raucous whenever your guy gets up on the dais than if you know, if, if uh, somebody from your that country isn't on the dais. So uh, the fact that we almost got to gold and we got silver, um, is something special and nothing, it will never happen again like that. Trampoline will never be able to introduce itself to the world like that. And although the Chinese won gold in Beijing in 2008, and what a special moment that would be, it wasn't the first time, you know, it wasn't that first time that we got to show the world what a spectacular sport we are. So that was day eight. And then I don't remember the rest of the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I've talked to Amini Fonua, who is a swimmer, and in the Rio games, his event was literally the first day. So I, I, I think he skipped the opening ceremony. Yep, and yep. then after that first Saturday, he competes, I think, in the morning. And then he has two weeks where he can just party and meet people and have fun. Yeah, nice. That you, that's, that's really good if you're uh, at home, if it's your home Olympics, because nine times out of 10, if you're in that first couple of days, they will send you home because obviously it costs the Federation money to host you at the Olympics and, and you've got, uh, they've got to pay for you to be there. So nine times out of 10, they'll actually send you home if you haven't won a medal, you haven't, you haven't done anything like that. Um, so the fact that it was at home in Australia and we got to stay there, I got to experience that really hardcore Olympics and then I got to experience the just absolute joy of the Olympics itself, where I got to go to everything. But then, of course, it was elevated because we did really well. So I was invited here, invited there, and, and invited everywhere, really. Um, so what a special moment for everybody that was involved in getting trampoline to where it was and where it is today. You, you talk about that first time really introducing the world to this sport, and it has grown a lot since then. What are, what are one or two things you wish people knew about the sport? Well, how hard it is. I mean, how hard is it just to jump up and down you know, on a trampoline in the backyard? Or how hard is it to touch your toes? I mean, we're jumping up and down 10 meters high. So where the divers dive from the top platform, we're jumping that high. Wow. And we're doing all the moves and all the somersaults and all the twists that the divers do in one jump. We do that in one jump too, but then we, we do nine other moves after it as well. Mm. So just the fact how hard it is to make it look so graceful and so elegant, 
But that is the idea of being a professional in whatever your chosen field is, that you make it look so simple and so easy. I always use the analogy whenever I'm speaking, especially to high school students or to primary school students, uh, is that it's every, everybody that's really great at what they do, it's like they're a duck on water. You know, they're so graceful and beautiful above the water, but underneath you are going like the clappers. Your body, your brain is moving and working so hard to make it look graceful and easy and simple. So one of those, one of the things that I'd like everybody to know about trampoline is, of course, how difficult it is to actually jump that high consistently, but also the mental toughness that it takes, because you're talking 0 0.1, 0 0.05, that can be the difference between on a team and off a team, between 10 years of hard work, being successful, and missing the team by that 0.05. And then realizing, well, what have I got to do in my life now? Because I've just spent the last 10 years, like my teammates, trying to get to where I go. And I don't, so the mental toughness that it takes to be uh, any athlete yeah. is, uh, is something that people need to uh, understand. And, and I really do love it when you see, especially at the Sydney Olympics, his name was Eric the Eel. And he jumped in the pool. He was from Equatorial Guinea. And he jumped in the pool by himself. He'd never swum in a 50 meter pool by himself before at all, ever. It was at the Olympic Games and he got to swim 50 metres. And the crowd was going just as crazy for him as what it was for anybody that was winning. Sure. So, maybe, so maybe, just, maybe they cheered a little louder for Ian Thorpe, but <laughs> maybe a maybe little. Just, maybe just a little. Maybe just a little. But, it's, you know, those stories, are, those stories are all the time. Sport. Sport is one of those things where you've got to appreciate the effort that it's taken just to get there, let alone stand on top of that, guys. It's interesting you talk about this, the, the, the physical strength and the difficulty and the mental strength and it's something that I hear from and observe from uh, gymnasts as well you know there's a there's a perception uh in in certainly American culture that oh a trampoline or gymnastics might be a feminine sport these guys and and, and from both sports are incredibly ripped they are incredibly strong the stamina that they have to have the focus that they have to have having to do it's it's, it's like a combination of the marathon and a, and the hurdles because you're having to go and go and go and go and exhaust your body and at the same time have such focus at the most important times people don't understand these things at all no, no, they don't. And you're right, just touching on that femininity side, you know, of course, you know, boys are dressing in leotards, you know, so instantly we're tarnished with that brush that it must be feminized or it must be much easier than you guys make it look. But the hours and hours and hours a day over days and days, over weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years that it takes to get there, both the physical laser focus um, but also just that mental toughness and that mental edge, because it is unfairly tarnished as being a feminine sport. And, uh, and you've got to battle those you know, outside influences as well. You ultimately came out as gay a few years later, 2005. Why then? 
So I, I made the decision early on when trampoline was going towards the Olympics and I knew that I was going to be a part of the team was I just never wanted to be that gay athlete. I didn't want it to be gay first. Uh, I wanted it to be athlete known as Jai Wallace, the athlete who is, you know, let's say 5'10", not really, but 5'10", you know, uh, <laughs> um, and got all of these attributes, you know, uh, brother, not brother, son, friend, mate, works great, colleague, all of those sort of things, teammate, all of those sort of things first and foremost, because obviously as soon as gay, it's, you're, it's led with gay, there's a preconception of what you're going to say, how you're going to act, what you're going to look like and what you're going to achieve. And I never wanted that, me being gay, to be a hurdle to being the best at my sport. And too many times you do, you hear the stories um, of that, that hurdle turning people away from their dream and turning people off chasing what their heart wants. And I never wanted that hurdle to be placed in front of me. So I chose early not to say anything about that. But then once obviously the Olympics died down, um, then it wasn't going to be an issue. And it really wasn't something that I ever planned on doing. I just happened to be having a conversation with a mate of mine who happened to be the editor at a newspaper in Melbourne. And he said, why haven't you ever said this before? Why haven't you ever spoken about this before? And I just said that. I said, well, I never wanted it to be Jai, the gay athlete, the gay trampolinist. I just wanted it to be Jai, the Olympian, the silver medal winning Olympian trampolinist who happens to be gay. And he goes, that's a perfect story. Let's say that. So, yeah, sure. Let's chat about that. And that's kind of where that sort of came from and led to. And do you feel that people see you as a, a gymnast, oh yeah, gymnast, sorry, trampolinist and uh, a person um, before being gay? Or, or do you feel that, that you are viewed as the gay athlete? Well, I'm sure that there are people out there that do say that. And, you know, you have those in your own family, huh? in your own family that don't necessarily support that or, mm. or will point that out first. I'm sure people in the media and I'm sure opportunities have passed me by because of that. But feeling that since the Olympics and since uh, you know, telling everybody, going through those stories, I don't feel as though that has ever stopped me from talking to somebody or being approached for something or having the opportunity to present at a school or at a university or at a sports conference. Um, all the way down to the fact that uh, my primary school, uh, the PE teacher there contacted me earlier in the year and said that we love your story. And I grew up in a, you know, a sort of a tough neighborhood, a tough community in Brisbane here in Queensland. And, uh, and you're always tarnished with that brush of coming from that area. And it's almost like that hurdle of being gay is being put in front of these kids because they're from that area. So, um, so he said, we want to honor you because you've managed to do so well. And you're a son of Berenbury state school. Uh, I was there for seven years and obviously just as a junior, uh, 
from grade one to grade seven. I don't know what that uh, equates to with you guys. Um, they said, we want to honor you with naming our sports precinct after you. Wow. I said, wow, that's fantastic. And it goes, because you've been strong enough to tell the world about your sport, and it's never stopped you talking about being gay, having HIV, and the advocacy work around making sure that the kids from that area know that you're also from that area and that shouldn't stop you. You know, I say all the time, I put my own so shoes and socks on. So I'm in control of where my feet go for the day and what I do. So I, um, I received that honor just uh, about a month ago where it's the Joe Wallace Sports Precinct at my old primary school. Wow. Uh, and it actually tells my story, which I'm really proud of is that they never shied away from the things that make me who I am today. You know, Jai was Olympian, silver medalist from Bamber East, gay, HIV, uh, and advocate. You know, and that's there to see for not only the the kids in the primary school that they realise that somebody from their community and from their primary school went on to great things, but also the adults in that community. Sure. To make yeah. sure that they might think twice before they put a hurdle in front of those kids that are at that school. It's funny, I, I, more and more today, I, I know I hear about this fear of athletes um, and I, I think it was different 15 years ago, but I hear about this fear that people are gonna be labeled the gay athlete. And I think today people look at people's accomplishments before they look at whether they're gay or straight. I mean, I, I know you, I know of you because you're gay mostly, but I still view you as an Olympic medalist. Like that, that comes before that, that's an accomplishment and being gay is kind of who you are. And, and, and also frankly, you know, I, you've done well being a, a, a gay athlete, meaning, I mean, the gay community, I feel like has embraced you, um, you know, you, has given you a platform and you've used it in really powerful ways. So. I, I, for, from the outside looking in, uh, it looks like you have maintained that, you know, that aura of being, yes, I'm an Olympic medalist. Uh, and, and at the same time, been able to use your platform uh, that you, to really, you know, do good and, and do good for yourself. That's the way it looks from the outside anyway. Yeah, well, thank you. And I, and I you know, it, it gives me pleasure to actually make sure that that story gets told that way. Uh, again, I think there are people out there that will put those labels on you first and respond in kind, but that's, that's their issue. That's got nothing to do with me or a reflection on me. Uh, I just wish there were more people out there like us, right, Sid? <laughs> because we do stand on the shoulders of people that went before us. And while it was different 15 years ago and today, it does seem like people can be themselves and lead with being themselves. It's not a secondary issue. Uh, through the 2000s, through the night, back into the 80s and the 70s where people really did lose their life over being gay. People did lose opportunity. People did, weren't allowed to play sport or were disenfranchised and they stood up. They, they're the real heroes, the people that went before me because they didn't have social media to help them. And they really did rely on 
somebody seeing through all those smoke and mirrors to who they really were. Uh, and But that always didn't come across and that wasn't always a successful story. So there are many, many, many people out there that um, didn't achieve their own greatness because of the discrimination that they faced, but they stood up. So if I can, I don't face that sort of discrimination. So it's kind of my duty to stand up and, and play that forward and find ourselves in a much better place today and fingers crossed even better in the future. Well, everybody that I talk to say it's getting better and better. You, you um, you've been on a, quite a journey since then. I, you know, I, 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 I know that you have, like you said, you, you uh, uh, have talked about being HIV positive. Um, this was years ago, you know, at a time when, you know, this was before PrEP or before PrEP was popular. And you know, just, you know, some people were still very scared of it. Um, you had a debilitating injury, which actually is what I'm most interested in hearing about. Like, <laughs> how do you go from being world-class athlete to, I can't walk right now? Yeah, well, it's, a, it's certainly a, a shock to the system where every step that you take is painful. Um, obviously, that, uh, that really does make you appreciate the times that you could jump up and down on a trampoline and deal with a little bit of pain, the fact that it was even possible. Uh, and that, that, actually, that injury actually stopped my, uh, my circ career, my acrobatic career, and, and in a sense, my ability to play sport without sort of having to think twice about what sort of <laughs> how it's going to hurt uh, in the coming days. Um, but yeah, yeah, learning to walk again after a, a big crash at, at Cirque was, was something that I had incredible support with, but I found it really tough because we were in Macau, which is sort of next to Hong Kong and that sort of that special autonomous region of China. Uh, so if I didn't have the roommates that I did, and if I didn't have the physio support and the cast support and my friends support that I did there, I think that experience would have been a lot different. But the fact that I did have all that support and I knew that my main goal was to learn to walk again and learn to walk without pain. And, and that took 18 months and four different surgeries and seven pieces of cartilage being removed from my foot and four surfaces being fused together. And, and trying to even now trying to balance on my you know, my damaged leg is, is quite funny because they did warn me way back at the beginning that this would actually happen that you'd find that you were trying to balance on a foot and you're just not able to because your foot doesn't move in that way anymore so it kind of looks funny me trying to run and chase after ball and um you know kick the ball with the, the puppy or try to play tennis just trying to maneuver my way around that but of, but of course if that's something that i've got to do then that's something that i've got to do huh? there's so many more things to be pleased about in life you turned your attention away from being the athlete to teaching the athletes how did you find that meaning like have, uh, do you enjoy that part of it is it fulfilling to you yeah so i'm excited there's a the possibility obviously before covid there there was talk around brisbane chasing the olympic games in 20 32. So that was uh, that certainly piqued my interest. And uh, although I've always been interested in, in passing on the knowledge that I learned from the best in the business, um, 
that sort of got all put on hold until just the other day when uh, when the Prime Minister and the Australian Olympic Committee were all in Japan talking up the Brisbane, the potential Brisbane bid again. So who knows? That That's really interesting to me. Sports and the Olympics will probably be a very different beast in the 2030s. So we never know where that will lead. But, you know, the fact that... Uh, there's so much fun and pleasure to be gained out of participating in sport on top of dreams and goals at the highest potential level. And being a part of that as a coach rather than an athlete is, uh, is very interesting to me. So watch this space. So are you saying that there's a potential that you could be coaching an Olympic team? Well, who knows? I mean, it's quite sometimes still 12 years away, but... Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. Listen, yeah, fun but, to think about. It's amazing. But yeah, but that's uh, but that's that's definitely interesting to me. So trampolines are a spot I loved. I've been doing it since I was seven years old, seven or eight years old. So it's and I'm only 21. Can you believe it? <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's been a bit a part of been a major part of my life for such a long time. And I do feel like I've got some things to pass on. Uh, a few, I guess a few stars need to align for all of that to happen. But what's an event that would be at home here in Brisbane, in Australia, standing on the edge of the trampoline, supporting an athlete that I've supported through to that point could be uh, quite the story. Is athlete still part of who you are, how you look at yourself? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, uh, I think so. I think I'm going to always think of myself, probably look in the mirror and go, probably couldn't do what I used to be able to do but I certainly think that I can still do some things and I think athlete is probably the one superlative that I would lead with to uh to describe myself uh before I sort of describe myself any other way it's uh I think it's one of those things that's ingrained in your psyche that you want to get up in the morning and you want to be physical and able and moving and excelling uh I wasn't always the most studious person. I'm definitely a, the Homer Simpson looking outside going, oh, there's a bee outside while I was at school versus uh, jumping on the trampoline, saying to my coach, one more, one more after three hours or four hours on the trampoline going, come on, I just need to do it one more time. So athlete is definitely uh, in Jai's world and until uh, the end. Well, I, Billie Jean King just the other day, she's 77 years old, um, and she posted uh, just a video of her hitting a, hitting a ball on her 77th birthday, hitting a ball in the tennis court, and yep. she, you know, she is still athlete, and and uh, like you, you know, she's blazed a trail for other people to come come after her, and and yeah, it's it, even me. I'm a high school and college football official now, and people know me as a writer, but I still have that athlete mentality from when I was younger. Yeah, and I find it it bleeds into other sports. As I was saying before, I kick the ball with a puppy, and I can't help but try and kick the ball and then beat the puppy to the ball. But I'm out there playing with the puppy, and the puppy's supposed to chase the ball. And I think in my head, Jai, let the puppy chase the ball rather than you trying to beat the puppy to the ball. Or if I'm out for a game of tennis with friends or things, I'm thinking, why didn't I get the top spin down the back corner? Rather than just going, you're out for a Sunday afternoon casual hit on the tennis court. 
um, that that athlete is always lurking inside my brain. Leave us with one last thought, Jai. What is the best part of being an out gay athlete? The best part of being an out gay athlete is just knowing that I'm coming from, from an authentic place. And that's really freeing because you see so many people get to the end of their life and on their deathbed, tell the world about themselves. And that must be heartbreaking for not only that person, but the people around them. And I know that the people around me know that where I'm coming from is a really authentic place. And that does take some time. That is a little bit of wisdom that comes with age and experience that, uh, that my 15-year-old self or my 20-year-old self certainly wouldn't have been able to appreciate or even articulate. Uh, but the, that's probably the best part of being an out athlete is that I know that it comes from my heart and there's no hurdles in the way of where I'm going to go. No hurdles in the way of to happiness. I think that's yeah a nice way to put it. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I appreciate you taking the time and, and chatting with me. I'm sorry it took 15 years for us to finally connect. <laughs> and uh, well, Congratulations uh, on all of that you've I, done. We, 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 I certainly would be remiss of me to finish by not congratulating uh, you on, on your fantastic contribution. Uh, and sure, I get to play the game and be the athlete, but without somebody telling those stories and getting to the people that need to hear these stories. And I'm sure you have helped more people than I could have ever imagined I could help. So congratulations to you on everything that you have contributed to our community. We're all part of the team. The team doesn't work without everybody, right? That's right. That's right. Well, I wish I could say that um, I think it'll be less than 15 years before I actually meet you, but it's probably going to be <laughs> 15 years given. Maybe, maybe Brisbane, Brisbane 2032. <laughs> <laughs> maybe by then we'll uh, be flying to Australia. There you go. Maybe, yeah, maybe the world might be uh, yeah, Corona free. You can find Jai Wallace on Twitter and Instagram. If you type in Jai Silver Lining, J-I Silver Lining, uh, he should come up, uh, or you can type in his name, Jai Wallace, he'll probably come up to W-A-L-L-A-C-E, of course. Thanks for joining me. I hope if you're in the United States, I hope you had a, a great Thanksgiving holiday and uh, come on back next week. I have some really great guests lined up over the next few weeks. I'm really excited about some of these conversations. So come on back next week and we'll talk to you then.